You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer Alex Diaz and our production assistant Daniel Tersini, we would like to welcome you to the show this morning. <laughs> Good morning. That's, that's kind of a, that's that's a nice wake up call. It sure is. You <laughs> scattered around there as quick as a bunny there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we try and take care of it as much as we can, but that's we fun. have it's a live, right? slip up. But that's, that's all right. Okay. That's it's live. Make, that's me. what makes it the, the live show exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. People know it's coming straight from the heart. <laughs> Everyone's good. Have has anyone been to the uh, CNE? Yeah, I was actually this weekend y- at yeah? the CNE. Yeah, how was My it, daughter was. Oh uh, yeah, no, it was it was actually pretty great. Um, some of the the more noticeable attractions, at least me and my a friend of mine found, uh, were the um, the uh, the Marco. I think it was the Marco Polo uh, Lantern Trail, the Silk Lantern Trail. It was a, an entire exhibit of like art pieces specifically just crafted out of lanterns and it had excellent old stories and you know historical events and stuff like that and it was it was really beautiful it was really nice um i haven't been in a few years i really haven't i'd like to go down it just never seems to be time neither have i i think the last time i i went to the cne was about three years ago yeah um, i don't even know if it's been yeah no well like um and to be honest the only reason i really went was for two things one of which was uh Carnival food because that's yeah. always great, mm-hmm. and um, and there was actually a games garage that was going on down there, so that was more my. And you're a gamer, yeah. Actually, I, I was down to a FC game, I think, when it was going on, but we really didn't partake. I think we just went down and and uh, went to the game and came back. But yeah, it's but it sure does mark the end of the summer, doesn't? As soon as those commercials come on, um, you it know does. that we're winding down. So. Um, it's unfortunate. I always, I don't, even though I really don't do the back to school thing anymore because my kids are older, I still right. feel like once September no, hits, it's, yeah. that's, it's, that's it. So anyways, it's been a beautiful summer, but uh, enjoy, enjoy the rest of it. And hopefully September is just a carry through of, of the summer we've had. So today's show is live. As you can tell, our number is 416-245-1534. If you would like to call in and talk to our guest, please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC. And feel free to email us with um, any questions you might have, any show topics, and they've been coming in, and that's it's a lot of fun for us. And then we go seek out the guests that can uh, address the issues that you bring forward. And our email address is thh at Radio Maria. As you know, all of our live shows and tape shows are put into a podcast form, and you can find them on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is www.radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. It's on all of your favorite podcasts. 
podcast platforms. Um, this week's or last week's show is almost up. It's on the Radio Maria site. I haven't actually put it on my site yet, so that will happen today. So you can uh, you can listen to that shortly. So now is the time for uh, peppers, my peppers anyways, to start uh, turning from green to red. And um, I'll get into it in a second, why I was prompted to write about this. I never really looked through this myself. I, I know why peppers are hot, but I really sort of delved into it for the show. There are three basic groups of peppers, bell pepper, sweet pepper, and hot pepper. Uh, and people all over the world eat peppers in one form or another, uh, many for flavor and some for the challenge of eating the hot peppers. And I want to focus here on on the hot peppers, what brings the heat. And and again, I'll tell you in a second the, the, the big faux pas I made with planting my peppers. Peppers are hot because they contain a chemical called capsaicin. And there are other chemicals, they're called capsaicinoids. But capsaicin acts by binding with nerve receptors used to transmit heat and heat-related pain in the body. So the higher that capsaicin content, chemical in the pepper, the hotter the pepper is. So in 1912, I get a little bit of history. In 1912, a chemist named Wilbur Scoville invented a scale to measure the heat of peppers. And we use it to this day. The peppers are measured in what's called a Scoville heat unit. Uh, bell peppers and sweet peppers have no units and um, because they have no capsation. Jalapeno peppers measure about uh, 2,500 to 8,000, depending, you know, there are varieties of jalapeno peppers, depending on, this, uh, on the variety. So 2,500 to, 2, to 8,000 Scoville units. And the peppers that I mistakenly planted this year, I think um, I went to sort of the, the hot pepper section, but the hot peppers were divided up into sort of mild hot, medium hot, and hot yeah, hot. Right. And I went to the medium hot because I like to put them in oil. And okay. Then, you know, yes. use them. And I must have grabbed the some, either somebody put it in that section. I don't know where the mistake came, but about three weeks ago, when I saw that the peppers were starting to go from green to red, I thought, "Oh, perfect!" And I picked up the the tag that I had not looked at. I always put the tag of the the, right. the vegetable they planted, mm-hmm. and realized that the pepper that I had planted it's called uh, a boot yuko. Uh, Eulokia, boot eulokia, um, chili pepper or ghost pepper, and it has the distinction of being the world's hottest pepper. Oh, good luck with that. Yeah. Is so, that still the case? Uh, oh. Do you have another pepper? Uh, there's is, one that, that was actually genetically modified known as the California Reaper. Okay, so I don't do genetically modified. Okay. On purpose enough. anyways. But mm. this one, I just did the Google and on the tag, and this ghost pepper has... Um, Scoville unit of 1,001,304. Okay, so I have dealt with hot peppers before by accident, and I suffered terribly, terribly. Um, I got into my eyes and on my hands, and uh, not fun for me at all. And so I'm looking at these peppers, and I'm thinking, they're just going to go to waste, because I don't, you know, I'm not quite sure what to do with them, but I know that if I do decide to cut them up and put them in oil, I will be fully clothed in the hazmat suit before I do it. So back to the capsation. It's a flowerless and odorless substance, and it's found on the inside flesh of the peppers. And as mentioned, we experience the heat when the capsation binds to the receptors. And then this... um, the receptor sends notice to the brain and it basically tells the brain that your mouth is on fire and then the brain uh, alerts the body and calls out the troops to neutralize this heat 
Um, and these troops work by increasing your circulation, initiating uh, perspiration for cooling, and um, things like runny nose as anterior eyes. <laughs> so, uh, a myth that um, I wanted to get to was that many people, and to be honest, me as well for a while, thought that the heat was in the seed. And you, you see that on the internet a lot. If you want to take away the, some of the heat, take the seed out. Well, that is not true. Um, a chili pepper spice uh comes in the pith and the ribs of the peppers and not in the seeds. The seeds, of course, could have been in contact with some of the capsation, but the actual seeds don't contain any. And I just quickly wanted to go over why some people seem to not be as bothered by heat as others. Um, the first reason is that some of them have less, some people have less capsation receptors in their mouth, so they don't experience the heat as much. The second one, the second explanation is that people who have grown up, you know, say in Mexico or other places, India, that they have a lot of spice in their food, train their, these receptors. So mm-hmm. over time, these receptors are basically desensitized and uh, they don't experience the heat as much. And the third one is kind of interesting. It's that... Um, some people just like the thrill of it. They'll they'll suffer the pain because they like the thrill of the burn. Uh, a study was done in 2012 that showed that sens- sensation-seeking individuals are more likely to like spicy foods. So these researchers found that people who are more open to new experiences and enjoy um, thrilling activities, so think roller coasters and mountain climbing, tend to enjoy spicy food, even if the immediate sensation is unpleasant. So they feel that that burn sensation is a thrill. Mm-hmm. So some interesting things. I thought I'd just uh, bring them forward, um, initiated by my pepper experience. Thank you. There you go. So today's guest. Our guest today is Jonathan Puddle, and he is a Christian writer and blogger and host of the podcast, Real Conversations About Life, Love, and God. He's also a children's pastor and former publisher, marketer, and charity administrator who is passionate about seeing people walk in deeper love and freedom. With over 14 years in charity leadership and administration and having lived in five nations, Jonathan brings a rich depth of practical experience to all his work and writing. Enjoying a wide range of Christian traditions, he teaches from a rich and inclusive perspective, regularly coaching and mentoring people one-on-one and in small groups, helping those hungry for abundant life walk, walking away from the small things. As a children's pastor, he and his wife are actively engaged in the leadership of a thriving community church in Kitchener, Ontario. Jonathan has a number of books currently in negotiation with publishers and has a self-published one book, You Are the Solution to Someone's Problems, Finding Meaning and Purpose When You Feel Passed Over, which is available for free on his website as well as on Amazon, iBooks, and Kobo. Today's learning points among many, because I just keep writing down things. Um, this is a little bit of a departure from what we normally do, and I'm, I'm really, um, I don't want to waste too much time because I really have a lot of things to ask uh, Jonathan. So the learning points among many are, what are spiritual children? Why should we endeavor to raise spiritual children? And how can we begin to instill spirituality in our own children? We'll be back in a few minutes. Safe in the Savior's hands 
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Again, our show is live. If you'd like to call in with any questions, our number is 416-245-1534. And please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you? Hey, Kathy, I'm doing really well. Thank, thank you, you for having me on the show. And thank you for taking the time. I'm very invested in this. Um, I keep writing questions down, and I want to make sure that I pull things out of you distinctly. <laughs> so let's start at the top. Have you always been, were you raised as a spiritual child, or has this been something that you've taken on as you've, as you've grown? 
Yeah, I definitely was raised in a home that valued spiritual things. Uh, I would say that I became a Christian at a, at a young age. But in my kind of teenage years and young adult years, I definitely kind of had to redefine that for myself. I found that a lot of the spirituality that I'd been given uh, was maybe too shallow for the pain of adult life that I was encountering for myself. So my wife and I left the church for a while. We kind of journeyed out in the wilderness, as people may say, and then rediscovered the the life of Jesus, really, and uh, that brought us back into a spirituality that probably looks on the outside a lot like what we were raised with, but has a, a deeper life inside. Well, how do you define spirituality then? Where Where is this difference um, that you bring to the table when you say it, it's deeper than what you were sort of given as a child? So an easy way to maybe delineate for some people would be the difference, say, between the word spiritual and the word religious. Mm-hmm. Like to, to some folks, religious just means you believe in God. And so in, in that case, we're probably on the same page when we're talking about spiritual things. But for a lot of people, religious has a lot of baggage with it, right? Like maybe that means that specifically we believe in an angry white man in the sky who will zap you with lightning if you screw up. Or it means like rigid, controlled, restricted living that tells you what you can and can't do. But spirituality, to me, I think moves us away from that. It's it's an acknowledgement that there is another realm, another world beyond what our eyes can normally see, and is a, a life and a vitality to it that, yes, probably will inform the way that we live in a way that may change our outward behavior. But it's happening from, from within, right? Like, I, I, I really enjoyed your story about the, the hot peppers, and I learned a lot of that. I learned, sorry, I learned a lot from what you just said. <laughs> I, I could dance around and pretend that my mouth is burning because I, because I, I said that I ate a hot pepper. I mean, you see when people eat hot peppers, them trying to pretend that they're not in as much discomfort as they actually mm-hmm. are. But if I really ingest a hot pepper, <laughs> that fire is coming from deep within. <laughs> I get it. You know, I think so I'm getting a, the analogy here. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a life and a vitality to genuine spirituality I think we see in certain people, right? We see the joy that comes out of them, or we see the, the way that they carry themselves through suffering uh, in a way that has grace and dignity. Where somebody who's maybe just outwardly religious or, or going through the motions, let's say, often, often doesn't carry them through really difficult times. So spirituality um, obviously can be within any religion. It's how you yeah. internalize the core beliefs? Is that basically what we're getting yeah, at? I think, that, I think that's a part of it. My only concern with that would be uh, we can be spiritual without really knowing what those beliefs are, right? Beliefs kind of put us back in the area of rational thought, and, and it's totally a rational component to spirituality. Mm-hmm. But spirituality isn't strictly rational. And I think that's where sometimes we, in the West especially, get wrapped up around creating religious uh, modes of behavior and modes of thinking that are very thought-driven. And this is where, as adults, I think we get into difficulty with raising spiritual children because adults are so rational. We want the explanation. We want the science. It's, it's hard to let go of hard, cold facts. 
Exactly. Uh, now, you know, within uh, holistic nutrition, which is my background, um, you know, true health is dealing with the mind, the body, and the spiritual aspect of a person. And spirituality obviously is not contained with one particular faith, but I do see that it, to my, to my opinion, to what I've seen, it is the least attended pillar of health. And what I want you to tell us is why is it important to raise spiritual children within a paradigm of them living a healthier, more meaningful life? So we could probably spend the rest of the entire show talking about Mm -hmm. why. You know (laughs) what? Let's take it where it goes because it's so important. Absolutely. So, I mean, okay, let's let's throw out a few high-level things, and then maybe we can dig deeper. I mean, you don't have to look around to see that, as we just said, adults are fixated on the rational. We uh, like what we can understand, what we can measure. That's fine. Like, we're, we're looking for meaning and for simplicity as much as we can. Our lives are hard and complicated. But as you just pointed out, we don't attend to our spiritual health very well. So, at the very least, we need hope, we need beauty, we need life, we need all these kinds of things that as adults seem really difficult to hold on to, but that often when we look at children, they're intrinsically happier or intrinsically more beautiful than adults most of the time. And they have a life and a vitality. Uh, I was at a church just the other day where the adults were a little more stoic. And I watched these kids just wriggling and, and dancing. And I thought to myself, how old are they going to be before they notice that the adults are standing very still and then the child decides to also be still and stop dancing. I thought there's something tragic about the upbringing that we all go through where we stop paying attention to the things we need to pay attention to, like like our health. So for me, as, as a Christian, I believe that God made all of us, not just Christians, but all of us, in His image. So it's in our nature to be spiritual, to be relational, to be connected to one another. And so I think the more we understand that aspect of our creation, that we can stop being so alienated from our own selves, right? That our, we won't be as disintegrated uh, within with our mental health and our emotional health. I mean, you, you brought up those three pillars of health. You know, part of our rational mind is this Gnostic movement away from the body. It's like we, we elevate the intellect and we kind of punish ourselves with dieting and pushing our bodies really hard through difficult things. But we can start to respect our bodies and treat our bodies with love and joy. We start to treat our emotions with love and joy. And we start to access our own inner world and our spiritual life and the divinity that God has placed within every single one of us. We live a totally different life. What, I mean, what if uh, if parents haven't, you know, the way that it's coming across and the way that you're explaining and the way that we've sort of uh, entertained this notion of spirituality, it's within the, the confines of health. Um, what if parents themselves are not from a spiritual place? Does the parent need to take on that spirituality? Or can a parent who doesn't feel it themselves but realizes that the importance it could be for the child, 
can they work from that angle? Because there seems to be a big movement away from spirituality. Yeah, I, I think uh, totally both angles can work. In terms of movement away from spirituality, I would say there's definitely a movement away from organized religion mm-hmm. in, in the wider culture. But I think the statistics bear out that the vast majority of the population of, of Canada, of the United States, remain very, very interested in spirituality. They just don't want any of the particular modes of religion or modes of behavior associated with religion that they've seen. There's very, very few, there's a small percentage of the population that actually would identify as total atheists. There is nothing beyond what I can see with my own eyes. So uh, I would say to, to your question, it can certainly be helpful if you're raised in a spiritual mindset to be able to pass that on to your children. But if you recognize that you don't have it and that it could be helpful to your children, it shouldn't necessarily be a hindrance. I'd say, first of all, kids are kind of innately spiritual because they haven't had it trained out of them yet by adult life. So the more we actually listen to our own kids, pay attention to our kids, ask them questions and let them ask us questions, uh, we can actually learn a lot from them in the process. And there's books and things that, of course, we can learn from and, and things we can do to get in touch with our own inner life and, and the spiritual life without being attached to any particular religion. So we can grow ourselves in that. But I think one of the main things I've learned, even as a parent and as a, as a kid's pastor, is not to underestimate what these kids can figure out and feel and encounter divinely for themselves and share with adults. Like, can you give me some examples? Is is it a naivete that we're sort of feeding into, or are you actually teaching these kids to look beyond? Uh, okay, let me give you a, a, a real world example. Every Sunday uh, that that my team, that my wife and I and, and our volunteers are teaching kids church, we will invite the kids to just encounter God. And so, you know, I use that word God in a in a Jesus sense, but it doesn't have you don't have to hear that as a as a boundary. God is can be for you whatever that metaphorical divinity looks like. So we basically teach the kids, okay, there's there's three voices that you might hear, okay? There's the voice of your own thoughts. There's the voice of, of God and the source of life and light and joy. And then we usually do encounter kind of an opposing uh, destructive thought voice sometimes as well. So we say, okay, we're going to just sit down, quiet ourselves down, and ask Jesus to speak to us. We're going to ask a simple question. Uh, what do you think about me? Or what would you say to me, God, right now? And then we're going to write down, or in the case of young kids, they're just going to draw and color out what thoughts or impressions they receive in response to that question. And so sometimes, you know, kids are like, I saw a monkey. And some kids are like, I got nothing. But we've had kids like as young as nine or ten be like, hey, I actually, I got a picture of my dad. And he's standing outside alone in the rain. And I felt like God wanted my dad to know that he's not alone and God loves him. And I'm like, that's amazing. I know this kid and I know this kid's dad and I know how alone that dad feels. And there's something that that kid is tapping into that I believe his dad needs to hear. 
It's it's amazing the power that children do have. I I totally agree with you on that. And what I what I see and from your story that you know parents I think there are many parents who would like to delve into this area of spirituality with their children and is it is it correct to say that even if they're not on board they still have a lot that they can give to the children to guide them in that way so that they can make their own decisions is that fair definitely definitely and ultimately it's it's all the similar kind of stuff let your kids ask questions don't shut them down you know dialogue with your children you know teach them that there may be more to life then you have the power to teach them. I mean, that's a, any sensible parent would say would say that to their kid. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to encounter a world that's bigger than the world I've been able to give you. And so, inviting them to journey and to ask questions of life and to to, to engage with life itself, I think, is one of our, our really important jobs as as parents. I, I totally agree, and uh, it, it's not taught to us, and it's not, and the, the kids can then feed into the parents and teach the parents, and I think it's totally a two-way street. Jonathan, we're going to take a, a quick break here, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to continue along with this subject line. We'll be right back, everybody. Not scared to say I used to be the one Preaching it to you that you could overcome. I still believe it, but it ain't easy. Cause that world I painted, where things just don't work out. It started changing, and I started having doubts, and it got me so down. But I Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Jonathan Puddle. Jonathan, I want to continue our conversation. Um, it's an important one, I think. What would you consider to be the biggest challenge that parents face in trying to raise a spiritual child? I think looking for immediate measurables. Uh, parenting, it's a long, it's a long game. <laughs> You've got to play a long game. And so I think, you know, we're so used to metrics and, and what are we doing? How do we, what are the results that we're looking for? So I think you have to create different metrics. You have to look at different things to see, are, am I successfully raising a child who is willing to look beyond the here and now, tap into joy and peace and live in a softer, gentler, more spiritual way? I think you've got to take your time with that. You've got to maybe even discern what that is for your child. What does it look like for your child to be spiritual? And that's going to be a little bit different necessarily for every different personality. For some people, you know, spirituality might manifest in obvious strength and passion. For other people, it might manifest in in tenderness and, and compassion, sensitivity. Can can you raise a child spiritually? without like putting a label on it we see many many very dear and good children does that come from as opposed to children that maybe aren't as kind-hearted as other children are able to to handle situations without the parents actually labeling this is a spiritual upbringing do you see what I'm getting at here? Like, can can you yeah, raise a child without labeling it spiritual? And would you call that a spiritual upbringing? Yeah, certainly you can. Certainly you can. I mean, if we take just an example of, let's say, trauma, you know, we see we see children who've been raised in really difficult, traumatic environments who somehow overcome it, who turn out to be generous, kind, wonderful pe- adults who don't pass on that trauma to their children. Meanwhile, we do see people raised in trauma who pass on that trauma to their kids as well. So I think whatever lines we would say, the labels don't, don't necessarily mean anything. You can, you can raise a child and just say that I want them to be compassionate and sensitive and be willing to consider that there's more life than what they can see right in front of their eyes. I would probably say, hey, that's a wonderful spirituality of kindness that you've developed. Yeah, I agree. Now, when you've raised a child under this umbrella of spirituality, what can we expect to see them achieve that perhaps other children don't? Well, as adults, you know, there are a fair number of surveys that confirm things like people who profess to be religious or spiritual are often healthier, they're often happier, they often uh, come through stressful situations with greater resiliency. So I would say that we would expect to see kids becoming those kinds of adults, kids who maybe release bitterness more easily, who forgive, who hopefully are less divisive. I mean, we desperately need that, right? I mean, we're living in this super divisive, argumentative age. Uh, And so we should expect to see kids that are a little more tender, a little bit more compassionate uh, than perhaps you might see otherwise, as well as kids who I think have a measure of hope. You know, it's life, ultimately, I think we have to understand it is a gift. I think most of us would intrinsically understand that. Otherwise, why do we have children or, mm-hmm. or have pets? Uh, and so I think there's a, there's a fundamental hope that is linked to life, which is linked to spirituality, 
that we would that we need more of and that we should expect to see in kids who understand that there's more uh, out there and that fundamentally the personality behind the universe is good and loving and has given us life as the greatest gift. Is it harder these days for parents to try and raise their child spiritually? And if so, why would you think? That's a good question. I think there is definitely less cultural support for it. Like we touched on earlier, there is a movement away from, you know, traditional organized religions and so on. But that can be a, that can be a good thing, too. Uh, I mean, my, my kids are all baptized Roman Catholic. They didn't grow up culturally Roman Catholic. So everything that they learn through their Catholic schooling and, and their teaching about faith is really, really real to them. Because they weren't raised simply culturally Catholic, as some, some people are. And so I think that there is a benefit in our society, being more pluralistic, being less outwardly religious, that you have to just be, choose to do the work and be intentional. I think also that we are in pain, and we know that the world is falling apart around us. So I think there is maybe a desperation that might push us towards it. But I would say one major strike against us, I think, as a, as culturally here, especially in North America, is that we are very individualistic and that we don't have a strong ethic for family and community. I think family and community is a really helpful spiritual upbringing tool. You look at other nations, often you'll find they value family more than we do and they value togetherness more than we do here. And we're so focused on our individual growth and individual life. So I think that would be a major strike against us and, and a, an obstacle for us is rem- remembering how much we need one another and raising kids together, right? Like, you know, a few generations ago, raising kids was a really communal family, multi-generational process. Whereas now it's much more like, well, I raise kids based on the podcast that I privately listened to and I don't want my my other generational mother to speak into me because she's probably going to use her old generational ideas and surely there's no wisdom there anymore. So hopefully you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. Well, that's, excuse me, sad to me because, you know, there are benefits to organized religions, traditions and values that, you know, I don't think that should be undervalued in the scope of a, of a, a, a bigger spirituality. Some people find great comfort in some of their traditions. And I think that's that's my opinion. I, too, was raised Roman Catholic. Um, and my kids have varying degrees of association with the church. I mean, they're adults now, and they, you know, they do what they want. But I think there's a melding of the two, don't you, in some ways? Or possibly? Oh, certainly. Certainly. I mean, I, I grew up in a very anti-Catholic context and wanted nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church until I happened to get my feet wet and discovered the beauty of the rhythms and the traditions and the the prayers. And uh, so I was overjoyed that my wife happened to have been baptized and we were able to get our children brought in there. So definitely, I think there there is a melding of the two. I think for me, the key is simply, uh, are you doing this because it's simply been put upon you by somebody else, or that's a cultural expectation, which doesn't mean it's valueless. But I think it's going to have more value for you if it's something that you have chosen or something that you uh, 
have a deep connection with yourself. Those rhythms, I mean, ultimately, that's the point of a sacrament, right? A right. sacrament is an outward manifestation of a, of a hidden reality. I, I totally agree. I, I want to now, you know, I want to jump to the other end uh, of, of the children they're raised. Um, they've grown up in a, in a tradition, and they choose either to not follow through with that, or they choose to go in a different direction. As a parent... Have we done our job enough or well, or is there a line where we say we've done our best and now it's up to them to go and discover? That's I a tough that one. Is, yeah, for sure, for sure. That's one of the most painful, painful parts, I think. Uh, there's a, a woman named Natalie Frisk who has a book coming out called Raising Disciples. Uh, it's coming out, I think, next month, and and. Her and I had a, a conversation on, on my podcast where I basically said to her, Natalie, can't I just perfect my faith to such a degree that I can really clean it up and really get it nice and pretty and hand it on to my kids? And she said, absolutely not. They're going to have to wrestle with it just the way you wrestled with it, Jonathan. And so she said to me, one of the best things we can do as parents is equip our children to wrestle well, to ask honest questions, to not be afraid to sit in uncomfortable places for a time, to to get to know their own inner life and their own personal spirituality and figure out what that maybe looks like and brings life for them, and then give them permission to pursue it, even if it looks different from ours. It's hard and it's scary. Oh, it is hard. Think, it's very yeah. hard. You know, I've... Uh, I've had we are we have four grown children, and um, as I said, they've sort of gone their own ways with spirituality. And in some regards, it's hard not to, in one way, shape, or form, be disappointed. Is I don't know if that's sure. the right yeah. word. Um, and I guess you're saying that we shouldn't be. You know, you do what you can do, and hopefully, as adults, you know that they come because it's. It, it, Personally, faith is such an important part to me. Um, you know, if that isn't translated into our own children, how how do we feel? How should we feel? Yeah, I, I, I would definitely not say that you shouldn't feel disappointed because that's that's a really natural emotion, and you're you're likely going to encounter some level of disappointment. I would I would say, can we leave room for? their life-giving choices to maybe look different to ours, to not assume that we know too much about the choices they have and haven't made. I think that's probably one of the biggest frustrations that many of us feel with our own parents is that we've made a choice that we, that we actually made really informedly, but our parents feel like we just made the wrong choice. And if we only knew better, mm-hmm. but we're making our own, our own choice. So I think, I think often, the temptation is to be like, my child didn't follow exactly in my religious footsteps or, uh, or, or whatever, and so then maybe they have no spiritual life, or maybe they have no faith. And I think that's an easy mistake to make. Sometimes our kids will walk away and, and have nothing to do with our faith, um, and that is happening, and that is genuinely sad for us, but we shouldn't in any way let that damage the connection between us and our children, because that's then a greater tragedy that we've actually said, it's more important to me that you follow my faith than that you and I maintain intimate relationship. 
I think that's an important thing to bring out. I really do, because, um, you know, many parents struggle with this. uh, And it's not just even within the spiritual realm. It's, you know, traditions, habits, beliefs, if they're not shared. I mean, we have to allow space for our kids to grow. And to me, that's one of the hardest challenges that I've faced is, you know, letting go. Um, But, you know, once you do, once you do let go, it's, it's cathartic. And you can watch these kids expand and grow, and you feel better, I think, when, you, when you're allowing them to take off on the wings that you've helped them grow. So I think it's uh, what you say is goes right to, to the core of things, so uh, much appreciated. Now, let's spend the, the remainder of the show maybe giving tips to parents on how to initiate bringing up a child spiritually. Tips, sure. if you want to go through some tips to uh, um, to do this. Yeah, certainly. So I think uh, you, the first question comes back to your question earlier. How how does your own upbringing as a as a child influence your parenting? So I think you're going to start there. You're going to start with asking yourself the question: Okay, what does my spirituality look like? Uh, is is actually my spirituality healthy? Do I live in guilt and shame, or do I actually have a a joyous, life-giving source of life. So that's, like you said yourself, Kathy, most of us don't value the spiritual component of our health nearly as much as we should. So I would say if you're, if you're weak and unhealthy spiritually, then you should start with yourself before you try and pass much on to your kids. You know, put your own oxygen mask on first. And so maybe that looks like examining your religious practices. Maybe that looks like examining your connection with your, your mind and your body and your emotions. How connected are you to your, your emotional health? It's pretty difficult to be a spiritual person if you actually don't even have connection with your own emotions and your inner space. Uh, it's also pretty difficult to be a patient parent if you don't have a connection to your own emotional realm. So I would say start by learning your emotions, get in touch with your personal inner life, dig into some neuroscience on emotions, understand the effects of trauma in your own life uh, so that you can become a much more integrated, managed, personally self-managed, well-governed individual. I don't mean just that you're controlling yourself, but that you are uh, intimately familiar with your own inner world so that you can help then your children become familiar with their inner world so that they can use that connection to their own emotions maybe as a, as a stepping stone to connect with the spiritual realm. Honestly, when I dialogue with myself, I maybe journal or just trying to process my own thoughts, it feels like a very similar language, if, if I can use that word loosely, language. It feels very similar to the way I would connect with the divine and the way that promptings from from God come to me. Quite similar to what it's like when I, I'm trying to be like, Jonathan, how are you doing today? What's happening inside? So I think uh, owning your own emotional and inner space is really key so that you can help uh, children do that. And there's, there's books available on that and all kinds of things. I can recommend some resources, but uh, your listeners may be familiar with some as well. There's a huge growing movement towards you know mindfulness and, and mm-hmm. so on. And some of that's but some of it's really good. And we need to allow room for imperfections, don't we? We're never going to oh, be perfect, sure. and we shouldn't expect <laughs> ourselves to be. No, exactly. I mean, 
you know, Brene Brown, one of the kind of sages of this current day, you know, talks about the gifts of imperfection and mm-hmm. vulnerability and courage in the face of painful circumstances. And screwing up. <laughs> well, yeah, and you have to allow. Now, is this the basis of where you'd start off? Is is this like step one? Is there step two, step three, or let's get, you know, let's get our own on tact uh, point? Yeah, I would, I would start definitely with yourself, and then I'd look at, okay, what is your child like? Get to know them. I think it's really easy to assume that we know everything about our kids and then actually miss out on who they feel they are and, and who they are. So I would, I would, I would study your, your child. Look at them, learn them. What, what happened, what uh, patterns and behaviors emerge as you watch their life? What brings them joy? What uh, seems to light their passions in a way that, that, is, that is unique to them? Make note of those things and then talk to them about those things. Dialogue with them. Uh, ask them if they dream. Ask them what their hopes for the future are. Ask them if they uh, believe that there's a spiritual realm, or what do they think about God? And they've already heard stuff. I mean, kids are kids are talking to one another. They're hearing things on on TV, on Netflix, on YouTube channels. Uh, my kids are almost seem like they're raised by by YouTubers mm-hmm. as much as they're raised by me. And so, obviously, as a parent, you want to monitor that stuff. But see what they're already thinking. You know, say, look, look, we're alive. Why are we alive? How did how did life come to be? Life has obviously got hard parts in it. But isn't like, don't we all mostly fundamentally believe life's good? Like, you you know, when you bump into someone whose fundamental belief is that life is bad and that it would be better that there was no existence than existence. Those people kind of stick out. So if we all generally believe that there's a goodness inherent to life and existence, why? To me, that's the surest proof that there's some kind of benevolent intelligence behind all of this. Uh, and and starting that dialogue with your kids can can help set the stage for more more painful, difficult dialogues later on. Why is there suffering? Well, that's a difficult one. I'm not going to answer that right now, but but you can start to set the stage for those conversations by dialoguing with your kids, by creating a safe space for them to ask all kinds of questions. The level of connectiveness that you can establish just as a parent-child in that relationship, too, is is profound. Um, Definitely. And and I think spirituality sort of starts within the family nucleus, um, however you choose the the direction and the traditions. Um, And it's, it's, yeah, it's it's something I, I, I hope that with our conversation might, you know, spark interest of parents or parents-to-be to examine it, because as you mentioned earlier, as we talked about, it is a component of health, uh, the mental health, the fortitude that, uh, you know, in this day and age, a lot are lacking. What are you up to, Jonathan? Do you have any projects that are coming uh, down the pike? Yeah, definitely. For the rest, I've got I guess two weeks left of, of summer holidays. <laughs> I am uh, daddy daycare at home. So I, uh, my, my podcast is, is still going. I picked that up again in August, took a break in July. So I've got regular guests on that show. I just did an interview uh, with a woman last week that's up now, all about understanding what trauma does in our mind and our body. Really, really informative. Whether you would identify with, as someone who's had a traumatic past or not, she says trauma is just anything that overwhelms your nervous system's mm-hmm. ability to cope. So every one of us has been experienced trauma by something. 
Uh, and then I've got a couple of books I'm working on. I'm planning to put out a, a simple little book uh, on kind of how to love yourself uh, in a just a healthy, connected way. Uh, and that should be out within the next couple of months. And then I've got a, a large book that I'm working on with a couple of publishers. Uh, that's such a long process, uh, tweaking, tweaking that. But my, my message there really is that God created us to be beautiful, powerful, and free. And so how would our lives look, our culture, our workplaces, if we really all personally believed that we were powerful, beautiful, free people? And if we used that freedom and power to serve others lovingly. Uh, so that's, that's my big dream, really. That's, that's what I'm passionate about. Can we love people better? Can, are we, can we become people who are willing to pay a greater cost to love others? Because I think love changes people. Oh, 100%. And we need more love. And we need more people like you. It's, it's, Thank uh, you, Kathy. It's a wonderful thing you're doing. And, and I hope my hope uh, with having you on our show is that uh, for young parents, for older, it's never too late. Start the dialogue. Um, this is such an important aspect of faith. Um, one final thing, why don't you give us your social site so that people want to follow you, find out when your book is coming out, um, they can do so. Thank you. JonathanPuddle.com. That's Puddle, like P-U-D-D-L-E. You probably see them all the time outside mm-hmm. Puddles. Uh, so JonathanPuddle.com is where you can find my, my blog, my podcast, all kinds of things. You'll find me on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Jonathan Puddle, search for the podcast, P-U-D-D-C-A-S-T. And then uh, at Jonathan Puddle on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere else. And, and I've got a lot of stuff that I do pretty regularly on, on Instagram, especially daily meditations and all kinds of things, just helping us to get in touch with our own spiritual life so we can pass it on to others. Wonderful. At Jonathan Puddle on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's been a wonderful show. Um, and we will talk to you, everybody, next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi here on Radio Maria Canada.